anyone can do it. Like it's not difficult to master, but I think people discount how many things there are to master in order to create a blog, especially one that gets read. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. Hey, hey guys, DeRay Olaleye here. Welcome to the BTM community. We are bringing you episode three, live and direct. And today's show is heat. Yes, that's right. Today's show is fire. This Dallas weather is heating up too, by the way. Man, the iPhone GPS serves no purpose when I'm trying to get around the city. The construction out here is crazy. A highway is open today and closed off tomorrow. The city is growing at such a rapid pace. Hmm. I wonder if that's where they coined the term growing pains. Anyways, today's guest has achieved 1 million page views in just a few short years on her blog after quitting her full-time job at a hedge fund. She currently sustains her living with her online businesses and real estate. Isn't that cool? Her name is Lauren Bowling, and she walks us through her journey from start to present, from aspiring actress to well-known author. She's been featured in Forbes and other sweet publications. We cover some cool topics like online tools to help your business, outsourcing, and scaling a blog. Well, it's about to go down. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit joefearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. Hey, Lauren, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to have you. I'm super excited to have you on the show. I've read a couple of your blogs and I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and I think that you're very inspiring. So I knew I had to get you on the show. Lauren is a award-winning blogger and editor behind the personal finance site, Financial Best Life, and the author of The Millennial Homeowner. Lauren has been featured in Forbes. U.S. News and Huffington Post, and now Before the Millions. <laughs> I think that's great company. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so let's kind of get into it, Lauren. Let's let's talk about your history and maybe talk about, you know, 18-year-old Lauren and how you all got started. So I didn't start when I was 18. I wasn't that cool. Okay. I still feel like I don't understand what I'm doing or, or where it's all going. But as you said, I am a blogger 
a personal finance blogger, actually, behind my website, financialbestlife.com. I've been blogging for about five years now. Actually, it'll be five years at the end of May. So I started it because I lived in New York City. I worked at a hedge fund for a little while and came home, was in the middle of my quarter life crisis and decided I'm going to start a blog. And it was 2012. There were some blogs out there, but it wasn't quite the thing that it is today. And I wasn't good at taking photos. I'm not good at cooking. I didn't know what I'd blog about. So I decided since I just got finished working in the financial industry that I was going to start a blog about personal finance because it was such an area of interest for me and and still is. Okay. Do you mind talking about some of the numbers on your blog now and kind of? No, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Like how many people read my website? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like (laughs) monthly monthly average users and and things like that, just so the listeners could kind of get a gauge of, you know, we're looking up to Lauren to to show us the way. So if any listeners are out there and they're, and they're looking to start blogging and they're looking to start, you know, creating these passive income streams, then I want to show them that, you know, there are people out there like yourself who are credible and who've done this before and who have this track record. So it'll be nice to kind of, you know, give them a little sneak peek into, into the world that you're kind of in. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, my site was previously called LB the money tree because I'm LB. Everyone calls me, you know, that's my nickname because they're like 9 million Laurens <laughs> everywhere I go. And so there's always a Lauren and then I'm LB. My blog was called LB and the Money Tree. And then I rebranded at the end of 2016 into something that's like a little bit older, older sounding, like maybe a little bit more, I don't know, worldly. <laughs> but I get about 100,000 page views a month and around 50,000 users, which isn't big by any means, especially when you see all these big name financial news sites like Business Insider, like Forbes, but it's taken me five years of a lot of hard work to get there. And I'm pretty proud of it, especially because for right now, it's, a, it's still a single author site, meaning it's me. I write it. It's from my perspective. I have a few guest authors and writers from time to time, but it's very much, very much my baby <laughs> and my way to like speak to the world. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think Lauren is being a little, little modest when she says it, it's, Inty binty, it's it's very small. I think that's amazing. I think that's fascinating, and those numbers to me are are, are very impressive. So, so just wanted to kind of say that. But let's let's kind of go back before the blog and kind of lead up to the blog and why you decided to have a blog and who your initial target market was and what kind of was your goal at the time. Well, my goal at the time was just to generate a conversation, particularly among millennial women, about finance because I was working in New York working with a lot of men in the financial industry. And they were very, very money savvy. And I didn't super know any women like that. And I, you know, I'm not a personal, you know, financial certified financial planner. I'm, you know, I'm not certified in any type of way. My mantra is very much that you don't have to be a credentialed expert to manage your money well. And so I wanted to take that message primarily to young women who I felt like maybe hadn't had that before. Yep, yep, that's amazing. So, did you start the blog with the intent of having, I guess, having young women, I guess, buy you and kind of show them a step by step guide on how to do what what you're doing or how to do what you're looking to achieve? You know, what what was your merit back then to kind of be, I guess, an authority in your in your niche? Sure. Well, my authority was that I made a ton of mistakes <laughs> in my college years. I had a shopping addiction in college. I racked up credit card debt, about $10,000 of it when I left college. And then I moved to New York City 
famously with $300. These are all like stories on my blog that are kind of part of my blog. Yeah, yeah, let, let's story. talk about it. I've heard them all, but let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I was I had a really bad shopping addiction. I graduated college with a lot of debt. And I know you probably don't think that's a big deal because most college graduates graduate with some form of debt. But my parents very generously paid for my college education. So this was all just debt from my bad behavior. And I didn't really think it was a very big deal until I went to New York with $300 because obviously I hadn't saved anything besides spending problems. <laughs> and I move up there and I'm sleeping on couches and I want to be an actress. And I realized that in order to keep up with these minimums that I was now responsible for because I was off the parental gravy train, so to speak, I had to get a full-time job job. Like I couldn't just work at Starbucks and go to auditions, you know, in my free time. So I ended up getting a job as an administrative assistant at a hedge fund, working 12 hours a day. I couldn't go home, you know, until my boss went home often at like seven or eight o'clock at night. <laughs> and I had to be there, you know, when the markets open. So it taught me really quick that money, it's a tool. It's not just something that you can, you know, just forget about or this thing that kind of flows in and out of your life. It's a tool and you can use it to create the life you want to live. Or if you're bad with it, it can hold you back from your dreams. And so I got serious about my money. I paid off my credit card debt because of compliance issues at the hedge fund. I wasn't allowed to blog while I was there. But then when I ended up moving back home and was kind of figuring out what to do next, my mom handed me this article that, that said, you know, tips for people to keep their skills sharp while they're job hunting. And one of those ways was to start a blog. And I was like, well, I, I love writing. I'll try it out. And, you know, got very lucky. It kind of took off at least enough for me to like stay interested and stick with it. And the rest is kind of history. Okay. So you said that after you paid off your, your 10K in, in debt, which, you know, is not that bad, honestly. But, you know, I think that you paying that off and in the period that you paid that off is phenomenal. So I want to talk about how you did that. But really quickly, you said that you moved back home afterwards. How did that come about? I think I just decided New York City wasn't for me. You know, I'm from the South. I live in Atlanta now. It was very cold and I wasn't prepared for those long, like, nine months of winter kind of <laughs> situation. So I left my job at the hedge fund because I was trying to do the acting thing. I finally paid off the debt and saved up enough that I felt comfortable finally pursuing my dream and, and then decided that my wants and wishes had changed. And I was very confused. I was 25. It was very much a quarter life crisis kind of situation. And so I decided I was going to move home and just until I could figure it out because, you know, New York's kind of an expensive place to you know, wander. I can, <laughs> yeah. I can do that for free at home. Yeah. So, so I, did, I, I moved home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that. I think I had my same crisis at 25 and it, mm -hmm. it was, it was totally mind shifting. So let's talk about the 10 K and talk about how you were able to get that down to zero. Sure. So it was very much a practice of setting my very, very first budget and having an income and, I use the 50-30-20 method, which for listeners who aren't familiar, that's where you allocate your take-home pay. 50% goes to living expenses, 30% goes to debt payoff, and then the 20% you can spend however you want. And so I had my first paycheck and I was, you know, I took the percentages out of that and just put the 30% every month to my balances and then any extra money I got from you know, babysitting or, you know, birthday money or whatever I would put towards the balances and, and I paid it off and I haven't ever been in debt 
except for another time when I was renovating my first home, which is now a a rental property, I ended up getting, I think, $8,000 in credit card debt. And so that's another big thing on my website. It's probably the most popular post is I paid off $8,000 of credit card debt in 90 days. Yeah. And that was just through side hustling. Oh, wow. Okay. Let's kind of take it a bit granular with the side hustling. What type of side hustling were you doing and how were you able to keep it so consistent for you to be able to pay that off? Sure. So at the time I was working full time. So I was allocating, I think it was about 20% of my take home pay to paying off the balances, but I had two side hustles. I was a freelance marketing copywriter, which is became my job after my quarter life crisis was over. I moved home and and became a, a marketing copywriter. And then my blog, my blog makes, you know, an income because I'd been doing it by that point, by the time of the 8K and 90 day challenge for about two and a half years. So at that point, the blog had enough traffic and readership to generate an income through sponsored posts, through affiliates and through sales of my own products. Okay. So with the blog, and you know, your, your blog is a, is a financial blog and there aren't that many financial blogs out there as opposed to, you know, fashion blogs and some of these other blogs. So your blog is a financial blog and you know, you're a financial blogger and kind of going through your financial journey and kind of going through your life, you started this blog and you've been doing it for a couple of years. And, you know, when you're in a niche such as finance and you're a thought leader, you're looked at as, you know, you don't make any mistakes and Mm -hmm. you know the right way to do it and everybody else's way is wrong or, you know, that's just not your way. So you're on this journey and you're giving out advice and you're, you know, most likely nine times out of 10 while you're giving out advice, you're taking advice, but you somehow find yourself in debt, $8,000 at that time. You know, how did that affect you and, and your mindset and knowing the position that you're in and the people that look up to you? Right. I mean, honestly, it was it was very tough because I renovated the house in 2013 and I didn't pay off the debt until 2015, which means that it just kind of hung out for a little while for over a year. And I didn't tell anyone about it. And so when I finally got serious about paying it off, I was like, you know, I'm going to use this. I'm going to be transparent with my audience and I'm going to use that as a way to kind of build in accountability, because it's one thing to say, hey, I made a mistake. And I'm this perceived expert, but it's another thing to say, Hey, I made this mistake and I'm going to fix it. And then to fail so publicly. So, (laughs) and people were really accepting and loving. And I think, and, and part of, I have this post on my site called my five core money beliefs. And, and part of that is built in that because I believe that money is a lifelong process, no one can be perfect at anything from the time that they're 18 to the time that they die, which is how long people are managing their finances, often their own, their parents, their kids one day, you know, their spouse. So mistakes are going to happen. And so from that moment, I was able to build in this mantra of like money mistakes are going to happen. It's kind of like how we rise from those. That's important, but also just, it totally changed the way I, I thought about blogging. Okay. And previously, how would you say that you thought about it? Yeah, I think I did kind of, approach it as like, oh, I have to be this expert. I always have to contribute something actionable. And in that moment, I realized that blogging, I was doing it for them, but then it's also for me. You know, it can be creatively fulfilling. It can be emotionally fulfilling. It can be all these things in addition to income. Yeah. Did you find that kind of opening up just made everything better? Or was it one of those situations in which you opened up and you immediately felt like, oh no, I need to take this back? 
No, I've had several moments like that where I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't shouldn't have written that, especially because everyone who knows me knows I blog and knows where I blog. And they at any given moment, they can read about my finances, which is incredibly personal for a lot of people. They can read about my state of mind. But every time I've kind of put myself out there, I've gotten it back tenfold because there are so many blogs now. People not only want information, they want a connection. And so over the last five years, I've gotten a lot better with money and I've learned a lot about finance, but I've also learned a lot about blogging as a medium itself, which is really fascinating. Yeah, let's talk about that because that's a lot, a good amount of the reason why you're on the show, Lauren. I think that, you know, is it safe to say that you have over a million page views? Yes, lifetime. (laughs) If you go back five years, I have over, I hit it, I think back in October. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. And that's yeah. something to aspire to be. <laughs> oh, man. You just made me feel so good about that. I haven't <laughs> thought about it in so long. But yeah, no, over a million pages. Let's talk about how you did that. It's been a couple of years and you've, you've had to start from zero or mm-hmm. maybe one, maybe your mom. You started from one. <laughs> how, how did you get from one to a million? Like kind of walk us through that process, how you were able to build this collective for, you know, and it's still going strong to this day and still growing. Yeah. So I think people look at blogging and what they see, they think, oh, that's so easy. Oh, anyone can do it. And anyone can do it. Like it's not difficult to master, but I think people discount how many things there are to master in order to create a blog, especially one that gets read. So you have to become a masterful writer. You have to become a masterful marketer. You have to get you know, have to learn social media, you have to learn the blogging technology, which is most often WordPress. And then if you want to grow and scale, you have to learn how to look at your analytics and see what people like and how to scale that. So how do we turn what people are reading and clicking on into even more page views and readers and email conversions, which then in turn, you know, becomes income and a business, which is how blogs go from like nothing to, you know, online businesses, basically. Yep. What are some of your favorite can't live without apps when it comes to your blog, like maybe like lead pages or click funnels, things like that? Yeah. So I'm currently, I don't recommend this to anybody, but I'm currently hacking together a lot of different things. So I use MailChimp for my email provider. I use Board Booster for Pinterest, which has been incredible. I use CoSchedule to manage all the content and social media For my site, through me and my team, Google Analytics, of course, is invaluable and it's free. Like a lot of these tools that are offered online are free for bloggers up to a certain percentage. And so you can have everything you need to build a business at your fingertips. Okay. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think I'm going to look into into some of those apps. I need to get on the MailChimp train. So, so yeah, kind of moving on a little bit. I want to just talk about a brief period in your life in which you make the transition from a full-time W2 employee to a full-time entrepreneur and kind of, Mm kind of talk about that period and how you made the transition. Yeah. It actually goes back to that 8K and 90 day challenge that I was talking about because I was kind of in a blitz to grow my blog income and and get freelance writing clients to pay off the $8,000 in 90 days. By the end of it, I realized that I had enough income to leave my job. <laughs> I was like, Oh, you know, it was like, what am I going to keep doing? Like, cause I was working like crazy. You know, I didn't have a social life for those 90 days. Cause it was basically all about trying to pay off debt 
And I, you know, it was like, well, I can either let all these clients go and kind of take a step back from the blog for a second, or, you know, you can lean in. And so two years ago, I, I left my full-time job and was like, I'm going to try this, you know, working for myself thing. And at first it was more freelance writing. I, I tried to start a content marketing business and that worked for a while. But then I realized that instead of having just one boss and one client at a full-time job, I had like 10 and that wasn't making me happy. So about a year ago, I decided I was going to make the blog sustain itself and become its own full-time income. And so I had to let all those clients go and put all of my energy into making the website make more money. And that's been successful, but it's been a totally different side from like blogging as a creative kind of emotional thing to blogging as a business. It's, it's like a whole different side. Yeah, I believe it. And I definitely like the point that you highlighted when you decided to drop everything else and simply focus on blogging. I think that that's crucial to success when you can just kind of tune everything else out. I think that Gary Keller talks about it, or that's, that's the premise of the book, The One Thing. And just being able to, you know, focus on, on a single assignment or focus on a single business or, you know, focus on a single task. And I think that's when you have all the gears going and that's when you're able to really focus. So, so yeah, that's a great point. So to kind of talk about, you know, your goals in reference to leaving your full-time job, because I know at the time that wasn't particularly your, your side hustle goal was to, you know, accumulate enough monthly income to be able to leave your job. I think that you were doing it on the side because it was something that you love to do. And mm -hmm. I think you eventually you looked at your, your account and you're like, wait, you know, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but this kind of makes more sense for me to focus on this and grow this than, you know, be here where this, you know, this is only grown on a, I guess, a yearly basis and I can't exponentially grow it without either a getting another job or working mm -hmm. more hours which yeah. nine times out of 10 doesn't really work, especially when you're working in a corporate environment, working more hours doesn't necessarily mean more dollars. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. I think for me, it was not so much a matter of income and I didn't have any goals when I first started out other than to not fall on my face and <laughs> like have to go find another job in like 90 days. But I think for me, the turning point wasn't necessarily like a, a money question or or anything. It was like, how do I want to spend my time? Because I was a marketing copywriter and I ended up working at a lot of different tech companies, young tech companies where they really, really, really want you to drink the Kool-Aid. Like it's not enough to like work there. You have to also like be overly excited about working there. Does that make sense? Yep, and yep. <laughs> and I, I was like, but I work here and I do a good job for you. And, and, and I, I do a good job because I take pride in doing a good job, but that wasn't enough. They're like, you have to be really excited about the mission here and like believe in our values. And, and I realized like, I'm never going to care enough about this as I do about my own thing. Yep. So I should just go do my own thing. And so yep. I left and it was a little abrupt. I kind of, you know, if this is a show for aspiring entrepreneurs, like please have a fully formulated exit strategy and like <laughs> save your pennies and like maybe stay at your job a little bit longer than you think you should just so you can have enough financial runway. Because I was just like, Oh, I can leave my job. Bye. <laughs> and that's one of the things I wish I'd done differently for yeah, sure. Yeah. How was the first month after you left as far as, you know, just like gross revenue or you being able to, you know, you being able to just kind of hone in on what you're doing now so you have more time or does it not work like that? You know, you think that it works like that, but once, you know, you're on the other side, it's a bit different. I only know a handful of people who've been lucky enough to 
build up their side business to their level of full-time income once you factor in health insurance and, and taxes and things like that. But I was able to meet my, and I'll just be transparent, I was making like $60,000 at my old job. I was able to meet that monthly level of income, I think within six months, which isn't bad. And so, yeah, I mean, you can get there, but I got close. And for me, close enough. <laughs> close. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to take a pay cut, but like, it's going to be worth it because I'm going to be doing my dream. Yep. You were looking at the long-term vision. So, yep. That's amazing. Okay. Let's kind of fast forward a little bit and talk about Laura now or LB to be exact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you're this successful entrepreneur, you're this successful blogger, you have your thought leadership platform and it's, it's doing, you know, it's doing well, but let's talk about your goal for the next couple of years and, and where you see yourself and some of the plateaus that you're, you're trying to cross. Right. So sometimes blogging feels like it's all just one really big plateau and that nothing that you're doing is moving the needle. And then all of a sudden one day you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm here. It's been a very strange ride. But in terms of goals, I have very aggressive income goals in terms of like having the blog make money. I put out my first book last year and I would like to do another one in the near future. I also just created my first course. You know, the course industry is blowing up right now. Yep, and so I created my first full length. I had a couple of like free email challenges on my site, which are still there if anyone listening is interested. But I have my first, you know, full length course. And it's about how others can get started blogging. And the premise of it is, you know, I give you everything you need to know to start your own blog and get it up and making probably not making money, but get it up to the point where it could start making money in 60 days. Yeah. So a lot of beginners, a lot of, you know, not millennials who struggle with technology, or maybe just want to blog as a creative endeavor have been checking it out and been a lot of really positive response. So that's been awesome. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. And even the book, like I definitely want to want to touch on the book a little bit because, you know, I advocate a lot on the show that the best way to, to kind of get your snowball rolling is to a, find a way to eliminate taxes or decrease taxes as minimal as possible and B find a way to offset your mortgage or your rent and, or not have to pay that. So it's one of those things that, you know, you definitely want to take heed to. So, you know, you're a millennial, I'm a millennial. And, and I love that you're not a full fledged real estate investor. You're, you're a blogger, you're a thought leader, but you happen to invest in real estate. And I want to kind of, you know, let the audience know, let the listeners know that it's okay to not be a real estate investor. Like I'm pushing more so for financial freedom. And mm -hmm. I just so happen to think that real estate is the best vehicle to, to get you there. Now you can get there with any other vehicle and many other vehicles. And, you know, hopefully in the future there, there will be guests to be able to shed some light on some of those other vehicles. No, so I a hundred percent agree with you. I bought a house because I was blogging about personal finance. And I read, you know, I'd been reading about what a good way it is to like, earn money, have your money, earn money. And, and I bought like, which my book, by the way, is called the millennial homeowner. <laughs> and it's a lot about my mistakes. And I'm kind of more of an accidental landlord. Like I, I bought a home thinking I was going to live in it. And then my circumstances changed. And then I became a landlord. But that's the beauty of it is like, you know, it's an asset that you have and you can work it any, you know, any way you want to. So I lived in it and then I rented out rooms and now I don't live in it. And I just rent out the whole house. 
I have it, you know, there's enough equity in it. I can take that money out and start another business or flip another home. So I'm a hundred percent with you that I think even if you don't want to be an investor, like buying real estate is a good idea. And I think the term investor kind of conjures up visions of people kind of like what you're doing, buying like multiple units and, and, you know, doing all these things. But like, I mean, it can be anything you want it to be. Like I'm a real estate investor technically, and I own yep. one house <laughs> like, yep. and it's, exactly. it's so, it's so chill, but I'm glad I did it. Yep. Let's talk about that purchase really quick and kind of give our listeners some context. Okay. Yeah. So I was engaged. This was like five years ago. I was engaged and we wanted to buy a house to live in. And I was like, oh, we should buy something where we can make money. <laughs> and so we bought, well, I bought for us a house. It was $65,000. It was totally on the wrong side of the train tracks here in Atlanta. Yeah. And I renovated it top to bottom and I used a 203k renovation mortgage loan to do the renovations, meaning I took out a renovation loan of like $58,000 along with that mortgage of 65,000. So then I was all in for like, I don't know how to know the numbers off it's the top like of my head. Yeah, something, like that, something yeah. like that. And so that was like, you know, my mortgage was $120,000. And so I ended up having this house, this beautiful house, but I made a lot of mistakes. Like I had a contractor who kind of took me for a ride. I ended up getting about $40,000 worth of work when I paid 58,000 or so some other contractors I've worked with since have, have told me I've had to like go back and fix his work. I've had some totally sketchy roommates, (laughs) some disasters (laughs) with that. So I was like, you know, this was a good thing, but I was largely uneducated and that was very stressful. So I wanted to write a book where someone else who desires the same thing can read my book and kind of know the lay of the land because there wasn't any type of educational resource like it out there. So even though I don't write a ton about real estate and homeownership, I wrote a book called The Millennial Homeowner. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, Lauren, really quick, what are some some of your biggest takeaways as far as positives and negatives from your home purchase? Well, positives is just the pride you get in owning something is really cool. It's, It's unlike anything out there, honestly. And people don't understand it until they own their first piece of real estate. There's a financial benefit. I think I I did a large post on my blog. I think to date I've made, and I haven't sold it. I'm still renting it, but I've made about $40,000 in rent and tax credits for renovating a historic home so far in the last five years. And then I also have equity. So it's, it's been a very, very good financial move, you know, because I was paying a low mortgage and didn't have a high rent. I was able to leave my job, you know, just trade-offs like that. Yep. So kind of alluding to those same facts when you, when you, I guess, got your property, before you had your property, what were your investments like? Where were you investing or how was your mindset in, in terms of what you were doing with your saving money? Mm. So investing, I wasn't doing anything outside of like parking my money in a 401k and an IRA for retirement. So my first home purchase was actually probably the first big investment that I made. And it was risky. You know, I bought a home that needed a ton of work. I'm not, you know, a contractor. I didn't know anything. It was on the wrong side of town. (laughs) You know, it was risky, but it paid off. I think I felt a little bit more comfortable investing in that way because it was something tangible, you know, that I could see and that I had a little bit of control over. 
once you kind of realize those benefits, what did you then proceed to do with the, I guess, with the funds in your 401k or how you thought about investing? Did your investing mindset change? Is there something that you're looking to do in the future? And kind of, you know, the 401k, I love some things about the 401k. There's some things I don't like, but, you know, once I made the switch to real estate, there were certain things that I had to change. So I'm just kind of asking if, you know, you had any of those experiences or you have some of those thoughts. I didn't. And I know I probably shouldn't say this to an investment analyst, but <laughs> I'm not so concerned with like my, you know, fund investment strategy, but I would definitely love to do another real estate investment in the near future. Like it's that, you know, we talked about my, my hopes and my dreams a little bit earlier, but doing another flip or not flip, but doing a flip or, or getting another investment property is definitely on my radar. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're always wanting to grow our portfolio. I, I think you should do that. I think that that's the best route to kind of have a foundation grounded for your future because I love the stuff that you do online and I love the stuff that I do online or, or else I wouldn't be doing it. But, you know, I still sometimes have that fear that it's the internet and it's just something I can't touch. Like I can go out and I can touch my rental properties. Like, and I know, mm -hmm. that, you know, if there's not a tornado or some earth shattering <laughs> disaster that it's still going to be there tomorrow. And, you know, with a lot of our, our online products, it's, and there are more riskier things when your business is on eBay or, or on Amazon, but even owning our own domains and, and things like that, there's, you know, who's to say that, you know, you may have technical difficulties for a week or two weeks or a month. And, you know, I don't know. So I, I just always like to have a, a little bit of a balance. So, yeah, I would mm -hmm. always recommend, you know, regardless of what you do and where you do it, definitely start investing in, you know, my particular specialty is real estate, but invest in anything that makes sense to you because mm -hmm. risk is in, in the eye of, or, <laughs> you, you, you know, the phrase like, you know, beauty is in the eye of, of the beholder. So same thing with risk. What you may perceive as risky, I may not perceive as risky because I've done the due diligence, you know, because, you know, for you, for an example, somebody who's never purchased a house compared to you, you know, if you saw a house on the market, you would know how to analyze it and you would know if it would make money or not, you know, so that would be less riskier to you than somebody who has no idea. They would rather, I guess, you know, for lack of a better example, invest in, in a 401k and have no idea who that 401k's manager is and have no and that 401k manager has no idea how to make money and over the life of that 401k you'd be making three four or five percent and most of that is probably going to be eaten up by fees anyway so you're really going slower than the rate of inflation but that's another story for another day we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about thought leadership platforms and we're talking about your blog and it's been amazing just to kind of walk through your journey lauren and, and just kind of soak up some of the knowledge that you have to give and i, I think our our audience has really benefited from that so lauren i thank you and you know we're going to move on to the next segment of our show here shortly but really quick i just wanted to transition into a segment and talk about our sponsors so really quick here's a word from our sponsors you are listening to the before the millions 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 podcast what is your favorite before the millions book so I can't choose a favorite book. I'm an avid reader. I love reading. But right now I am working my way through Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and I am loving it. So if you're a creative person or you kind of enjoy having thoughts and feels around the creative process, I definitely recommend it. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Time. 
energy, sanity, (laughs) (laughs) you know, taking a pay cut, you know, is never fun. Yeah. Just developing a good, you know, strong, tenacious muscle for hanging on even when things get tough. I love it. Great answer. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? So you mentioned there aren't as many finance blogs as there are lifestyle, fashion, DIY design blogs, but there are a fair number of personal finance blogs and our community is incredibly tight knit and they are very supportive. And so I've been, it's called the FinCon community. We have a conference every year and it's, it's kind of exploded into this digital conference. I highly recommend people check it out, but that community has helped me grow single-handedly. So, you know, we mind share a lot of these people are journalists who helped me get those press mentions that you read off at the beginning of the show. They've been mentors and friends, which has been, you know, invaluable, you know, when I've been frustrated. So a thousand percent, the FinCon community has helped me, you know, get to where I am. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's just Forbes. No big deal. Just okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? I think it's a two-part answer. I think people give up a little too easily. And I think people don't outsource enough or, you know, seek out help. And sometimes they have to pay for help. I think a lot of people don't do that. And I've been guilty of that too. Yes, I have too. And I try to tell every entrepreneur I come across, like, please, if you're an up and coming entrepreneur and you're trying to scale and you're trying to scale fast, you need to outsource as much as you can. Outsource the things that are not creative. Outsource things that, you know, you can write a manual for and somebody else can do that for you because the more you outsource, the more you have time to build on the business, the more you have time to be creative, the more you have time to think about the business. If you're doing little mundane tasks that, you know, are like click through tasks, like, you know, paste here, copy this, cut that. And you're doing it constantly. Like that's just wasting your time and energy and wasting, you know, your thought processes. Cause you, you could be building, you could be creating. And that's what we're here for is to create. That's what, you know, that's what entrepreneurism is. So yeah, I love that answer. Yes. Okay, Lauren, that was some great info and great insight for our listeners. So if our listeners kind of want to get to know a little bit more about you or find your book or maybe contact you or, you know, things like that, where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm across all social media at Finn Best Life. My website is financialbestlife.com and there are links for all of my products and courses and books right there in the navigation. Okay. Okay. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much, Lauren. And listeners, you have to check some of that stuff out because I've been through some of her articles and they're simply amazing. There you have it. Be inspired. I'm going to start quoting Gandhi on the show so y'all know it's real. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I think Lauren's exposure is possible for any and every single one of us. I love the fact that her motivation stems from wanting to help other people because I have the strongest desire to do the same. I want to see people come out on top because I know how possible it is with persistence. If you're constantly putting out good content, there's no reason they'll be able to deny you. If you haven't gotten started yet, what are you waiting for? It's time to build. We're living in a fascinating era. And we have some pretty cool things at our disposal with the dawn of the internet. Okay, Duray, stop blabbering. Hey, if you think you've gotten some great value from this show, let me know. I'd like to hear from you. It helps me facilitate a better podcast for my audience. Shoot me an email at Duray at beforethemillions.com. That's D-A-R-A-Y at beforethemillions.com. 
Oh, and don't forget to leave a rating and review on iTunes after you subscribe. Holla. Mmm, marshmallows.